Friday. How many, how many times have you studied the story of Jonah? Well, we're not going to talk about Jonah. We're talking about Isaiah. But as I'm studying Isaiah, I learned something about Jonah. So you've got to know what I learned about Jonah. And that's just the way it's got to be. It's sort of cool. Jonah. You remember Jonah? Okay, young guys. Because we're not going to put the old guys to the test. We'll put the young guys to the test that have studied Jonah in a little while. Do you remember what city Jonah was supposed to go to? What? Nineveh. All right, now, now, here's, here's the hard one. I had to look this up. I forgot. Do you remember what city that Jonah went to to get on the boat to escape from God's call? Whoa! Who, who gave me Joppa? You are the man. You are the man, George. Joppa. Now, here's the deal. In all of my, all of my studies, all of this time, you've got Nineveh, you've got Joppa, and for some reason in my mind, I had them like it was just over the hill, you know? It's just a little ways. It's, you know, 30 miles maybe at the most. It's a day's walk. It's not that far. It's, you know, it's just not that big a deal. Joppa is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, Nineveh's way up yonder, 770 miles away, 770, my daughter Anna is coming home tomorrow, God willing, and there's no more blizzards, she's going to come home tomorrow from Ann Arbor, Michigan, if I remember right looking it up, it is 768 miles from my front door to her back door, that's the distance that, that, that Jonah had to walk. Don't that put a little something to it? See, see, we first off, Jonah had to put, put away his pride to go to Nineveh because they're a bunch of heathens and they ought to die and, and they should die and they deserve to die and God's going to send me to these people and he's got to put his pride away to do that. And secondly, he's got to walk 770 miles to get there. What God's saying is, listen, dude, I need your life. I need your life. You don't walk 770 miles in a week. You walk 770 miles. We walk through the mountains 10 mile, uh, 100 miles in 10 days, and it about wore us out. 770 miles he would have to walk. I've never seen Jonah in that light before. Never thought about it that way. Now, what God's asking him to do, what God's asking us to do, me to do, is for, our, for us to give ourselves up to him, to be so convinced, here's the deal, to be so convinced that he's the man, that if there's a 770-mile walk involved, then I'll go. And that's a big, stink, big, stinking, fat, hairy deal right there. And we need to think about that before you say yes to it. Before I say yes to anything you want me to do, Lord, it could involve a 770-mile walk. That's not the point of the sermon. How did I get to Nineveh from Isaiah? Well, here's how it works. Israel, Isaiah was speaking to Judah. All right, history lesson, hang in there. We're going somewhere. 
Back in the day, we look at Israel, we say Israel, the nation of Israel. But y'all know from your studies, because you've been in Sunday school since Moses was here, y'all understand that ten tribes in the north were called Israel. They got overrun by Assyria. Two tribes in the south were called Judah. Assyria was beaten on their door, about to take them over. Isaiah is speaking to that southern kingdom. Assyria is going to take them over. Do you know what the capital of Assyria is? Nineveh! Man, can I make it any easier for you? Now, in modern day world, modern day world, do you know what, the, do you know what Nineveh's name is today? This may not mean anything to y'all. It blew me away. Mosul, Iraq. And if you fly into Mosul, Iraq, you have to land at the Mosul, Nineveh airport. Now, why does that... Mosul just got taken back from ISIS control. Who does ISIS hate besides Christians? They hate Israel. And who does Iran hate? They hate Israel. Do you realize that here we are 2,700 years removed from Isaiah and Assyria, Iran and Iraq still hates Israel and still wants to fight against them 2,700 years later. Do you see all of this stuff? And we're talking about biblical prophecy and we want to talk about the baby as being, as being the answer to the prophecy but if the baby was the answer to the prophecy, then all this wouldn't be going on. There's got to be something else to come. There's got to be a little bit more. The baby, the baby was only the beginning. You see, 2,700 years after Isaiah was written, Assyria still knocks on the door. For 2,700 years, Israel has prayed for, has looked for, has hoped for relief and safety and peace. And every king that's come along, they thought he was the man. Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, ooh, they're going to be the man. Going to be the one that's going to restore us. Going to be God's man. They're going to lead us to peace and safety and prosperity and justice. And every time they would wait and they would see that he's not the man. He's not the Savior. And then Assyria came in and they got overrun and they got taken off in captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in later and they get to come back and they build the city back up. But the lineage of David at that point appears to be broken. There's no more Davidic kings coming. Nothing. It's over. We don't know what's going to happen. God's speaking all this time saying, listen, guys, you're looking under the wrong rock. Let me show you what this thing's going to look like. This is what the truth is. Watch me. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Every country guy and every country gal alive knows, has firsthand knowledge of this, every last one of you. Tree gets cut down. Maybe it's in your yard, maybe it's in the woods. For whatever reason, a tree gets cut down and the stump's left behind. You don't grind it up, you don't dig it up, you just leave a stump. Now, guys, I don't know about gals. I've never been a gal, don't want to be a gal, never had a desire to be a gal, don't like what y'all go through, don't... 
But guys, I know how I was when I was a kid and you go walking through the woods and you see, you see a stump that's sitting there that looks like it's rotted and you're wearing your boots. What did you do? Bam, you kicked that thing, right? And it would break apart. And you thought you were the coolest, strongest thing alive. And you'd kick that whole stump down. And if you got to one little portion that wasn't really dead yet, you'd work yourself to death to knock that thing out. Because that's what guys do. We understand this. The stump's there and it looks dead. But what the scripture's saying here, sometimes, and y'all have done it, you've done it, I've done it, you've done it, you're walking through the woods and there's a stump that looks like it's dead, but there's a little green shoot growing out of it. And you look at it and you go, well, how about that? It's not dead. And if you don't mess with it, nobody else messes with it, eventually that little shoot that grows up will turn into a big tree like the tree that was there before it. And it becomes a huge tree. That's the image that he wants to put here. It looks like David's kingdom is done. It looks like the promise is gone. That what he said to Abraham wasn't going to happen. And yet here we go. We've got a little sprout that's growing up. We've studied this all of our lives. We know that sprout is Jesus. It looked like David was done. No heir apparent to the throne. The promise is, is, is null and void. But on Bethlehem morning, a baby's cry is heard. Remember that sound. Do y'all remember the sound when your baby was first born? That first cry, that little thready little you know, that sounds just this little weak, squeaky little noise that just fills up the whole room and makes the world glow. Yeah, that happened. That baby was born. Listen, the manger thing you got in your mind, the manger we've got out front, that's a fairy tale. Y'all know that's a fairy tale, right? They weren't, the, the, the baby wasn't born in one of your barns somewhere that smell, sweet smell of hay. Right. What planet are you on? These guys they kept their animals in caves, in caves, okay, in caves. So you go into this cave where Mary had baby Jesus and there's soot on the ceiling because the shepherds had started fires in there to keep warm on cold nights. And what happens, guys, when you do it, soot gets on the ceiling, right? And they didn't come out and clean the cages all the time of the animals. There's about a hundred years of animal dung on the floor in there. That don't smell sweet. And that's where baby Jesus made his first cry, laid in a feeding trough, not a wooden thing like we have out front, but a stone that was carved into the baby Jesus was laid on a stone feeding trough. And the cry rang out. Angels sang. Shepherds came Wise men brought gifts, expensive gifts, to the newborn king, but the baby's just the beginning. We make a big deal of the baby coming. Baby's just the beginning. We may go so far as to get all fired up about, about the resurrection and about Easter. It's enough. I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Hallelujah. My sins are forgiven. But that's only verse 1. We have nine more to go. Verse number two, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Now, you might notice in some of your Bibles that the word Lord is in all capital letters. That's because Isaiah uses the most holy name for God there. A name so holy, we've talked about this, and I'll keep telling you this because it keeps meaning so much to me. 
a name so holy. Listen, you read sometimes. I know you read sometimes. Don't pretend. I know this. You're reading your Bible, and you're just reading 100 miles an hour, and you know more hearing those words than the man in the moon, right? You just, whatever's going on, you had something to happen. Your wife has yelled at you. Your husband's yelled at you. The kids are throwing up all over the place. Christmas is coming. Your mother-in-law is coming, and you wish that she'd get raptured before you got there. The whole, everything, you got all this stuff on your mind. You got all this stuff on your mind, but you're reading your Bible because that's what you're supposed to do is you read your Bible, and you're not reading words, you're just reading, and you don't hear what you're saying. And see, what they knew is that if you had the name of God in the Bible, and you were reading that way, that you would read that name, and they said that name is too holy to even pronounce. So they took that name, the name of God, the us smart academic types that went to seminary, called the Tetragrammaton, Whew. You get extra letters for that in Scrabble. In fact, I don't think you can get that many letters in Scrabble. Anyway, the Tetragrammaton, they take that name of God and they, they put the vowels to the word Adonai in it. So that when you read it and you're doing that mindless thing and you read it, you read the word Jehovah. That's where the word came from. That's the word I like to use. Now, we're in an enlightened age, and so many people toss around the name of God now like it's, like it's nothing, but it sort of still bugs me a little bit. If the, if the ancient Jews, it just there's something about that. I don't want to just throw that name around because listen, listen to the power in that name. Listen to, listen to the power in the name. It says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength. Now, we've heard of the million times. God's my strength. He's my rock. He's my soul. He's my strength. The word strength here is not like muscle. It's not that kind of strength. When I was a young guy, they had Volkswagens back then that, that a couple of guys or really a strong, one strong guy could go to the front of the Volkswagen and it looked like he was really, oh, get under the bumper of that thing and pick the front of that Volkswagen up. And, hey, look how strong he is. Now Volkswagens weighed about 50 pounds in the front. It's no big deal, but you looked like you were muscular. This isn't talking about that. This isn't talking about this. It is a spirit of heroism you see the difference the spirit of heroism it's it's the spirit that will run into a burning house to save the baby that breaks the window of the sinking car to save the family that's trapped inside it's the spirit that wraps the tourniquet around the soldiers' legs that have been shattered while bullets are flying all around their head with absolutely no concern for themselves. It's a spirit that knows no fear, that knows that it's up to every challenge, that knows that it will always be victorious, that it knows that I will never be defeated. It's a spirit of heroism. I will always rescue you. I will always rescue you. I will always rescue you. Do you understand? He will always rescue rescue you every time every time I will rescue you the spirit of heroism the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Jehovah now Western learning which is what we have and Eastern learning which is what they have here's a clash because knowledge for us is very academic knowing how to 
to disassemble and reassemble a motor, how you suture the patient, how you follow the recipe to make sure that the cake is absolutely perfect, how you track the numbers in the books to make sure that the money going out and the money coming in all balance. Western knowledge means that we studied the word. We know chapter and verse. We can recite everything back to back. We know how this all fits. We know everything there is to know about God. Eastern knowledge says, I know God. I have a relationship with God. It's not just I know how he operates. I know him. It's not academic. It's man to man, person to person. It says he will delight this, this sprig of, 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 of Jesse, this, this little tiny growth that's coming, is going to delight in the fear of Jehovah. He will understand his relationship with God. He will be filled with awe and wonder and is completely submissive to him, completely to submissive to this Jehovah of heroism and power. With his understanding of God, there can be no other way because he understands who God is, and that's how you've got to relate to him. Now, fear. We're going to deal with this. I don't know. I want to try. Perfect love cast out fear. Fear the Lord. Sounds like a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. I want you to listen. I want you to think with me. I want you to play a little mind game with me. I want you to do a little memory thing with me here. Because this, this, this is a glimpse of what it means to fear God. Okay? A glimpse. Y'all play with me here. Work with me. Come alive. Let me see your eyeballs. Look at me. Think for just a minute. Uh, Andy Stanley, look up here, look up here, look up here. Listen. Have you ever been in a church service or you've been at a concert, a Christian concert or something somewhere, and you, and you heard a song that was sung that was so beautiful? that went, went beyond words. And it was so powerful. And it's like Jesus himself was whispering in your ear. And there's a million emotions pass through you in that moment. And you're sitting there and you're hearing this and your soul is lifted up to heaven and tears leak out of your eyes, not because you want them to, because they just escape. And, and you're, you are so transported. You are so, this moment is so holy that you don't want to breathe. Surely you've been there. You've, you've been, sitting, been sitting there hearing this happen. The song ends and you hold your breath and you pray, please don't clap. Please don't clap. Please don't breathe. Please don't make a noise. I don't want this moment to end. Please. And then it's over. That is awe. That's what it means to fear the Lord. See, I've got this idea in my head. I hear us all talk about Abba and, and Daddy and we're so friendly with God. And then when we die, we're going to go to him and the first thing I'm going to do is ask him why he did so and so. Let me tell you what's going to happen in Randy's world. 
Maybe it happened. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. When I walk into his presence, I won't be able to breathe. I will stand looking at him. That spirit walked with Jesus every day that came. Now listen to me. I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That spirit is here. If you're a born-again child of God, that spirit is here. And I think that's why some of those moments when I sit there and somebody does something up here is so intense because that spirit hears and is bringing that awe to life in me. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord. Baby was only the beginning. That's verse 2. Where are we? My watch broke. I know y'all hate that. Isaiah 3 and 4, he will delight in obeying the Lord at the battery. I'm fixing it. Don't buy me a watch. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. That's who I want my ruler to be. I want my ruler to be one that obeys the Lord, that can be counted on to do the right thing every time, that can be counted on to be just every time, that it doesn't matter how I look, how I sound, where I am, who I hang out with, that the judgment that he will judge me with will be the judgment that he judges with every time. He will always judge in truth. He will always do justice for everybody. There is no them and us. There is us before him. In verse 5, he says, he will wear righteousness like a belt Belt and truth like an undergarment. Now, we like to look at God and we like to say he's strapped on this and he's strapped on that and he's mighty. What this verse is saying here is that his very basic wardrobe, when he gets out of bed in the morning, when he comes out of the shower and he walks out of the bathroom, the very least amount of clothing that he will ever wear is truth and righteousness. That that is who he is. That's what he does. That is where he goes. He is truth and he is righteous. He, that is who he is in that day. The wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and the little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a straw. Lambs, goats, cows, and calves, what in the world do they have in common? Pretty simple. They're food. They are their daily bread. It's what provides them their sustenance. And what do leopards, bears, and lions have in common? They attack their food and kill their children. So this is what he's talking about. In this new kingdom, the very nature of the beast will be changed. Children will no longer be threatened. The lion will eat hay like a, uh, will eat hay like a cow. Peace 
and safety that Israel's been looking for for 2,700 years. Verses 8 and 9, the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth As the waters fill the sea, listen, listen, you're telling me that the world will never, mm -mm, listen, he says, as the water fill the sea, so will the earth be filled with people who know the Lord. That means there's going to come a time where everybody that lives on this planet is going to know him. There's going to come a time. Scripture says so. Brandy, yeah, it's a long time to get there, but that's what it says. What do these verses have in common? Our children our most precious little patooties. They're they're more precious to us than breath. The people that we love more than life itself will never be threatened again. Do you realize we have it so good in this country? In India, right now, in India, every year, in India, every year in 2016, hundreds of mama's babies die each year from snake bites. From snake, do you know anybody that's died from a snake bite in the last 30 years? They die of snake bites. You know why? They have dirt floors. In their little shacks, they have dirt floors, and snakes work their way in through the dirt floor, and the little baby, you know, mamas, you can't watch that baby every second. There's no way under the sun. And the snake comes in, and the child sees it, and goes, look at that, and reaches and gets bitten by a poisonous snake. It's not going to happen anymore. It's not going to happen anymore. No more will innocence be deceived and destroyed. Won't happen. This new Savior, the stem of Jesse, he's going to change all that. Verse 10. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him. That means something big is going to change because right now the nations don't want anything to do with him. The nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Now, you might disagree with me, but I believe that every bit of this is referring to what I find in Revelation where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne. This is God, a large, loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And what did we say about Jesus? That his basic undergarments righteousness and truth he says write this down this is truth that's going to happen you just got to wait on it it's coming the baby was only a beginning don't get stuck on the baby don't get stuck there this is why we live this is what we fight for the spirit of god has rested on jesus the spirit of god now rests on you The Spirit of God now rests on you. He is with you and He is in you. The Scripture says so. And because of that, this is what drives us to make the world look like this. 
Randy, we can't change the world. No, we can't change the world, but we can change about this much of it. And that's all we got to change. That's our whole job is to change this much of it because the Spirit of God is in us and says, listen, and you know it's true. You know it's true. Agree with me when I say we all want to see equality. We all want to see justice. We all want to see peace. We all want to see safety. We don't want to see the people in Aleppo murdered. We don't want to see Christians with their head cut off because of a religion that's inspired by Satan says they should die. We don't want to see these things. We don't want to see people die. We don't want to see babies die. We don't want to see our children get hung up in things they shouldn't do. We don't want to see any of those things. God's Spirit in us is ringing out saying, No! That is not God's vision for your life. God's vision for your life is peace and safety. This world is the world that we long for. This world is a world that he's calling us to help him create. Don't just stare at the baby. We don't get there by saying that we're sinners saved by grace and we're going to die. When we die, we're going to heaven. We get there when we stand in awestruck wonder, afraid to even breathe in his presence, oblivious to the world around us. Don't care about anybody or anything. I am standing in the presence of God. Be quiet. Be quiet. God is holy and he's just. When we get there, we see Jesus. When we understand the fear, we abandon ourselves. And I will follow you 770 miles 7,700 miles, I'll follow you five steps, whatever it is you call me for. Listen, the baby was an introduction, just to get you to know. Everybody loves a baby. They coo and they're cute. And when they poop in their drawers, you can give them back to mama. Just sit there and go, oh, how sweet. It's an introduction. It's just an introduction. Israel's still crying out for the Savior. Savior's there. He says, I am coming. I am coming. Don't you be, don't you be deceived for a minute. I'm coming. You hang on. Scripture says that he reigns as Savior and Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's coming. Let's pray. Our glorious God and Father, Lord, I pray that you lead us to a place where we can't breathe in your presence, where we're in such awe of you that we're willing to give up everything if you require it in order to be a part of the vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Overwhelm us. Cause us to understand exactly what it means to have a personal relationship with you. Help us to beat back the darkness by letting us see Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Every Sunday we offer an invitation. We offer an invitation for those who have never accepted Christ as their Savior. And it's simple, and we, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's laying out in front of you. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'm telling you, what I just told you is true, and it's from the one who is faithful and true. That's what he wants to do with your life. He's asking you this morning to give it to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Turn and follow him and let him take you. But Christians, I want to, I want to offer an invitation to you this morning for the next few minutes, because you only have a few. Stop and remember that moment that you were so in awe of him. For some of you, this is going to be easy. For those of you that sing, that, 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 that have sung these songs, that, that, that have, have poured out of your soul, that the words, you know how it is. You, you know how it is. It's the same thing for a pastor sometimes. You sit down and the words just come out. You know where they come from. They're not yours. They just come out. You get through and you lean back and you look at it and you go, that's great. Where did that come from? It's from the Lord. But for those of you that may not have experienced that, take a moment and think of that time where you were so in his presence. And take a moment this morning and fear him. And if you've never experienced that, I invite you to come pray at the altar, pray in your chair, ask God to rapture your heart so that you can fear him and know him and want to follow him till your dying day.